Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and this is the first day from the fundraising school. According to our friends at the Chronicle of Philanthropy, they publish the Philanthropy 400 every year, the top destinations of charitable dollars. And four of the top 10 destinations, including number one overall, are the so-called commercial donor advised funds. We've had donor advised funds uh, in community foundations dating back to the 1930s, but especially in the last couple of decades, we've seen this influx of donations into donor advised funds managed by private wealth management companies. And so this is a huge white hot trend in philanthropy. In fact, as we teach our courses at the fundraising school, this comes up quite a bit from our participants. And here to help us understand how to fundraise from these so-called commercial donor advised funds is Dr. Patrick Rooney. Patrick is the Executive Associate Dean of the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And he has written on this topic, has spoken on this topic, and is bringing information practical information for fundraisers today. And Patrick, these commercial donor advised funds, when we teach at the fundraising school, we hear words like secret, black box, treacherous, like fundraisers are kind of leery, like Darth Vader's around the corner. Uh, what do we need to know about these so-called commercial DAFs? Yeah, so Bill, I think one of the things that's fascinating is professional fundraisers, I think, are the most anxious about yeah. DAFs of everybody you talk to. And, and I think it's in part because a donor can be as anonymous as they want to be, or they can be, they can take as much credit as they want to be, they can be as public about these gifts as they want to be. And honestly, I think that's one of the reasons that the asset value in DAF accounts has doubled in the last five years. Wow. And so, you know, it, it has some attractive features. You get to take the entire value of that deduction in year one. Uh, so if I make, you know, let's say I have a liquidity moment. So I sell a business mm -hmm. or I inherit money from a long lost relative that was kind of unplanned. And I feel like, well, I should do something. I should give back because, you know, I just got lucky. So I want to make a permanent philanthropic commitment, but I'm not sure of where, when, who, what, why, and exactly how much I'm going to give to each individual charity but I know I want to make a million dollar commitment or I know I want to make a hundred million dollar commitment so I can create a private family foundation or at a lower transactions cost, I can put money into a DAF and then I can, I can pass it through that same year or I can take my time and do it over time. And so I think that's one of the reasons it's become so popular or some of the reasons it's become so popular. From a fundraising perspective, I get that it's more difficult because unless a donor says to you, hey, I've got money at the community foundation or at a, uh, a national uh, uh, DAF account, I wouldn't necessarily know that. And, and even if they make a gift, and if they keep that gift anonymous, I may not know that in the kind of public domain. And so, uh, you know, you depend more on direct donor information mm -hmm and or intel that you get from other board members or other charities and so on about how that's operating and so on. But it's, so it's, it is harder. 
So on the one hand, uh, it's very expedient for a donor to create one of these donor advised funds as opposed to creating a family foundation. They can make that initial contribution then give more time to think about what other charities to fund out of that fund. Uh, we also know that those who are going into the private sector are saying, hey, you're managing all my wealth and helping me right. think about my estate and my taxes and my family and everything. Hey, while I'm here, let's, let's talk about my philanthropy as well. Right. And then as you said, there's this anonymity that uh, you know the normal community foundation has program officers who meet with fundraisers right. and in the back of their mind are thinking some potential connections between right. those DAFs and the fundraisers. That's not happening in the private sector. So we see why this can be a benefit to some donors and why it can be a challenge for some fundraisers. Right. Absolutely. And so what advice do we have moving forward? And you know, at the fundraising school, we talk about the importance of those personal relationships with donors. Patrick, that seems to be heightened even more here, uh, that we have to know as we're talking with donors or people who know them, that they have these private wealth management accounts as donor advised funds. Yeah. You know, I think from a fundraising perspective, my proclivity is to say, I really don't care what account it comes from. Mm -hmm. You know, if it comes from your personal checking account, your family foundation, or a DAF account, that's okay. And and the the trick is, you know, I have donors, you know, that I'm you know, soliciting already or cultivating already, and I continue to to do that. And I'm entirely flexible as to how you want to make that gift. If you're relying on the existence of the knowledge of that DAF, um, that's when it's you know more problematic. And so, I think, you know, the kind of traditional donor research, uh, whether it's by what's known publicly about business transactions or um, through kind of that snowball interviewing effect and and so on, or if it's through uh, past gifts. You know, if a donor has given mm -hmm. me gifts in the past, and whether it's from a DAF or otherwise, if they tell me, then I know. The tricky part is they may be giving me a large gift or a decent-sized gift out of a DAF, and I, I can't cultivate them, I can't steward that gift adequately because I don't know uh, to whom to address it. This really shows, again, the importance of relationships and as you're doing your donor research, uh, doing the best you can, often from people who maybe know these donors, that they're doing their charitable giving through a donor advised fund, especially now more and more in the private sector. You know, Patrick, one of the issues that comes up with this and maybe creates some of the negative connotation amongst fundraisers uh, is the lack of a payout requirement. You know, it's very interesting, our high net worth donor study uh, that you have led and, and been a part of for so many years shows that our high net worth donors, interestingly, only about 3% of them are giving out of these commercial DAFs right. so far. That's right. a number we're keeping an eye on. And yet the donations into these DAFs, as you said, have increased significantly just in the last five to 10 years which creates the suspicion that since there's not a payout requirement, that these funds are just being used uh, as a parking lot and maybe just for the initial tax benefit. That's something fundraisers need to be aware of as well. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. And, and I understand and respect the concern about that. And, you know, as a naturally inquisitive person, um, <laughs> you know, investigated this a little bit. And so one of the things you have to say is that the amount going in has doubled over the last five years. The amount going out has also doubled. Okay. So there's some parallelisms there. Um, I think regardless of the measurement, and there are several different ways one can measure the payout rate, all the different payout rates for the last several years have exceeded 20% of the asset base per year. Now, there's critics of that, right? Because transactionally, I can move money from 
a Fidelity or a Vanguard to the local community foundation, that counts as part of the payout rate for that Fidelity or Vanguard account. And then when it pays out of the local community foundation, that counts again for that community foundation as part of that payout for that local community foundation. I want to dissect the fact that for giving USA, we do not double count those right. transactions. It's just counted once, but that's a technicality. From the payout rate perspective, that is a concern, and, and I don't see how you get to that being such a concern that you say um, mathematically that that explains away most of the, that 20%, 20% plus payout. If you compare that other structural foundation approach, so you create a private family foundation and you're required by law to pay out 5%, well, that 5% payout minimum has also become an effective maximum. Right. So empirically, virtually all foundations pay out between 5 and 6%. And so it's an important subject, but be careful what you wish for. It might just exactly. become a ceiling. And as you said, right now we're seeing actually double-digit giving right. uh, out of these funds. A question we get all the time at the fundraising school, so the individual or the household uh, donating unit that create one of these donor-advised funds, there's not a pay-up requirement, and then the donor or both donors pass away. What happens to that money next? Yeah. So, uh, so at that point, then, it's turned over into a general trustee's account, typically, mm -hmm. and thus there's a specific will that has, you know, so like a child becomes the, you know, the donor mm -hmm. of, the, of record at that point. Um, but generally, it would turn over into a general fund, and then the, the board of directors, the staff operating on behalf of the board of directors for that agency would then be responsible for giving that money out. Um, one other thing on the payout rates, so I looked into this a little bit, Silicon Valley Community Foundation, um, Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard, most of the big ones have a requirement that if an account is inactive in two to four years, that they notify the donor oh. and they say, you know, let's get on this. And if they, if they remain inactive, then they divert those funds into the general pot of that organization and they start giving it away. So there's an awareness here about trying to get right. those dollars out to other nonprofits. And so, as you know, you always need to research your prospective donors. You always need to have a close relationship with your donors. That's true across the board, but especially those donors who have these so-called commercial donor advised funds. Uh, Patrick's research and the research of the rest of our colleagues is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. And that's where you're going to find more information about the fundraising school. We have public courses offered all over the United States, custom training offered all over the world, quarterly webinars, other ways that you can strengthen your fundraising skills. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and you are better informed on this first day from the fundraising school. Mm -hmm.